Reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And it can be found just behind you on page six, uh, 969 in the Church Bibles. That's Matthew 5, verses 13 to 18. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Here's a pattern which I think we will all recognise despite some individual variations from it. In childhood, we take whatever comes our way because we don't know any different. In adolescence, we begin to rebel against and break away from the constraints of our childhood. We search for our own distinctive identity, and some of us find it more quickly and easily than others. In adult life, we settle down with our own chosen norms and realistic expectations. But give it another 25 years, and many of us will find ourselves plunged into the so-called midlife crisis, a loss of confidence, a questioning of identity. What is it all about? Who am I? Who are we? What are we for? Where are we going? And the reality is that we, the people of God, are not exempt from these experiences, however much our faith may support us through them. On this All Saints Day, then, let us arm ourselves against any potential current or future identity crisis by reflecting, as we have been asked, on the topic, being salt and light. Let's first consider these two together, and then each of them separately. So firstly, salt and light together. Our Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Now let's get technical. What is the status of our Lord's language here? Are these words an implicit call to us to try harder, to put more effort into being good girls and boys, human success stories? 
No, they are not. No such thing. Jesus' words here are not grammatical imperatives, not commands. They are indicatives, affirmatives, statements. At the very least, he is declaring something which is already true. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In fact, it is quite possible that Jesus' words are even stronger than that. Some of us may have heard of what's known as performative language or speech acts, where the utterance of words is in itself a deed which changes the world. Some examples would be, for instance, the marriage vows, or I name this ship, whatever, or I declare this leisure centre open, or even you're fired. Now, it might well be that when our Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, it could be that he is not so much blandly stating something which is already true, but rather appointing them and us to new positions of power and responsibility. This is strongly suggested by his emphatic use of the word you, a word quite unnecessary in a simple Greek statement, but here included and put first for emphasis. It's almost as if he were saying Israel had been intended as salt and light for the world, but its salt had lost its flavor and its light became hidden. So I now commission you, plural, the whole community of disciples to take on and discharge that privilege and duty. I hereby appoint you the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So, dear friends, congratulations on your new job. Except that it isn't new. You've had it ever since you took that first step of enrolling yourself among the number of Jesus' disciples. So much for salt and light together. Now, secondly, let's think about salt on its own. What was salt used for in those days? It had two chief purposes, both of which continue even now. One was and is preservation, and the other was and is seasoning. As to seasoning, we value salt not for its own taste, but rather because it brings out the taste of other things, other foods. Metaphorically, this might suggest that we disciples are not meant to persuade other people to become like us, but rather to bring out the best that is already latent within them. My mind recalls the TV scene where Inspector Thursday is about to do something unworthy and the young Endeavour Morse restrains him with the words, you're better than that. You're better than that. Now that seems to me a very salty thing to say to somebody. Could that be part of what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote to the Colossians, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Seasoning. 
As to preservation, the significance of the imagery may be a little less obvious here. But if we see salt as preserving by resisting corruption, I think we can find a lesson in it. In the midst of one pandemic, are we aware of another, much older and more durable one? Bribery, corruption, blackmail, manipulation, coercion and exploitation and all such things. Sad to say, these impurities are a blight on human society all over the world. And perhaps the only vaccine to protect from them or medicine to treat them is the salt of Christian integrity and openness. You are the salt of the earth, says our Jesus, both for bringing out the best in other people and also for resisting corruption in human interactions. So thirdly, our Lord Jesus says to all his disciples then and now, you are the light of the world. The light of the world, wow. In a, in a non-religious setting, people might speak approvingly of some old rough diamond by saying he's the salt of the earth. What they will not say about him is he is the light of the world. Yet here is our Jesus appointing us, his disciples, as the light of the world. Again, his word you is plural, like the combined light of a city set on a hill, made up of many smaller individual lights. We, both personally and collectively, are the light of the world. This is way beyond being salt. This is something else. What can he possibly mean? Well, perhaps we can discern two things here. One is a job description, and the other is something about how to do the job. As to the job description, the Bible reveals to us a kind of descending ladder. At the top, in 1 John 1, 5, we read that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. One rung down, we hear the human Jesus speaking of himself and saying, I am the light of the world. Next below that comes our present text where he tells us that we are the light of the world. And then at the bottom of the ladder stands the world itself where the light is shining for better or for worse, for welcome or for rejection. And this light signifies two things. Intellectually, it represents truth as opposed to the darkness of ignorance and falsehood and disbelief. Morally, the light signifies goodness, holiness, purity, as opposed to the darkness of evil. So there we have our job description. We are appointed to a place on that descending ladder bringing to a dark world the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to use Paul's wonderful words. As to how to do the job, our Lord says quite simply, let your light shine before others. Be what you are, don't hide it. We are all used to hearing the phrase coming out, 
in reference to admitting somebody's sexual orientation. But the same phrase has also been used to refer to letting it be known that one is a Christian. And we hear that this is not always an easy thing to do. In public life, whether in politics, business, entertainment or sport, there may well be a cost to confessing Christ. It was the same in Jesus' own days. Several times John's Gospel mentions people who were true disciples but who kept their faith secret for fear of the Jews. But, for instance, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, eventually they both came out when they went public and asked Pontius Pilate for permission to give the dead body of Jesus a decent resting place. So we are to let it happen, let it be known by all and sundry that we are unashamedly disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the way to do it. Well, we started this morning by positing the threat of an identity crisis, an experience which may disturb our peace at any age or stage of life. Who am I? Who are we? What are we for? Here then before us is our Lord's own reassuring answer to any loss of confidence and direction. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Amen.